Hey, we're starting a brand new series here at Go Church. We're calling it Maxed Out. Maxed Out on the count of three. Both campuses say that with me. One, two, three. Maxed Out. And over the next few weeks, we're going to have a conversation about financial stewardship. So if you're wondering what that means exactly, we're going to talk about your money. Come on, somebody. And maybe you're here today and you're visiting or you're sitting there wondering, are you really going to do a series on money? And the answer to that is I absolutely am. I'm going to tell you a few reasons why I believe the Lord is leading us into this conversation. One of the reasons is because too many people are living in a financial prison when God wants you to live in financial freedom. Come on, give me a better amen than that. Too many people are in bondage to debt and the stress of money is killing them. And so I believe that God wants us to get out of debt and to live a debt-free life. Another reason that I want to have this conversation with you is because Christmas is right around the corner and so many of you are planning on spending money that you do not have. Hello? You're going you're gonna to charge it and then figure out how to pay for it later. And that is not being a good steward of resources. And I just want to let you in on a little secret. Your family is going to love you whether you get them the latest technology gadget or not. Your family doesn't need another present. They need your presence. Come on, somebody. Now, I know there are some teenagers in the room at either one of our campuses like, oh, no, give me an iPad or an iPod. But at the end of the day, you all don't need to be maxed out. You can budget for Christmas and not have to work your tail off in the first quarter of 2020 to figure out how to pay for it all. So I want to make sure that you walk in financial freedom through the holiday season. And then just to address some of the skeptics in the room, again, in either one of our campuses, it, it seems as though anytime the church begins to have a conversation about money, People start to feel a little uh, a certain way and skeptics will say, oh, great. They're going to take up an offering. They'll ask us for money. And I just want to set the record straight. We are going to do that. So, <laughs> yeah, we are. But we're going to do it a little differently. I want you to write this down and don't miss what I'm trying to say to you. On Sunday, December the 8th, we're going to do for the first time ever what we're calling a legacy offering a legacy offering. Now, the legacy offering is money that's given above your normal giving to the church. So for those of you that are currently tithing, the legacy offering would be above and beyond that tithe. And I'm calling everyone at both campuses to be a part of the legacy offering. And here's why. And this is what makes this offering so unique. I'm asking for 100% of you to give because we're going to give 100% of it away. Come on, somebody. That's not good enough. Hold on, stop clapping. You should have been like, ah! I'm just try it again. So we're doing a legacy offering on Sunday, December the 8th. And what's unique about this particular offering, I'm inviting 100% of you to give because we're giving it all away. Come on now. All of it, baby, come on. Every dollar, every dime, every nickel, every $1 million check, we're giving it all away. Somebody say, give it all away. We're giving, it, we're giving it all away. And I know what you're thinking. Where can I get me some? It ain't for you. What is the legacy offering for? I'm going to show you a few different areas that your legacy offering will go towards. Uh, we're, we're going to impact local outreach in both of our cities and counties. I'm so excited to be able to partner with some of the... Listen to me. Do you know that you live in an area with incredible nonprofits, 
Christian-based nonprofits that are making a huge difference in the lives of people within the, co- the county that you live in. And so it's not our responsibility to reinvent the wheel with local outreach. Let's just help fund those ministries. Are you with me? So we're going to attack local outreach. This church has always been founded on world missions, on world missions. Every Sunday that you give, you provide financial support to missionaries all around the globe. Uh, currently today, you're providing funding for missionaries in Yangon, Myanmar, in the Philippines, in Honduras, and in Belize, just to name a few. And so we're going to take up a special legacy offering, and we're really going to impact world missions. We're also going to give towards education. There are some great Christian-based education schools and nonprofits that we believe we can help with extra textbooks and blessing the teachers and helping their facilities to enhance the overall experience. There's going to be a great emphasis on assistance with food and medicine. We're, We're going to tackle food insecurity in our communities. We believe that if a Go Church exists in Germantown, Maryland, and Sharpsburg, Georgia, poverty should not exist. Come on, somebody. Come on, give me a better amen than that. We're going to help individuals that, that can't, that can't uh, purchase their own, their own medications. We're going to figure out a way to, to fund that. Well, you know that we're a heart uh, for church planting. Uh, we believe that churches are the hope of the world. And so a part of this legacy offering, we're going to fund church plants all around the country so that those communities can have life-giving, uh, Jesus-loving, come on, Christian, spirit-filled churches just preaching the gospel. And then, of course, we're going to help with benevolence because we know that generosity begets generosity and we should always be a church that's focused on taking care of the widows and the orphans and those who are less fortunate and so this is going to be an incredible incredible opportunity to jump in again I'm asking 100% of you to participate because we're giving 100% of it away there is not a gift too small and obviously there's not a gift too big every dollar matters every dollar matters so there's no excuse Uh, one of our staff recently asked me, Pastor, do you have a number, like a goal in your head or your heart? And the answer is no, I don't have a goal. But what I do believe is that after the offering comes in, we get into 2020, when we announce that total, it's going to be a supernatural number. Come on, do you believe that? So everybody participating. So until Sunday, September, or December the 8th, rather, Sunday, December the 8th, there are three things that I'm inviting you to do. Number one, I want you to begin to pray. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to tell you an amount to give. I want you to pray and whatever God tells you to give, you give that amount. Is that fair? So if God says give a quarter, you better give a quarter so you don't live in disobedience. Okay. If God says gives $25, I just want you to pray. Whatever God says to give, you give. And then between now and December the 8th, you're going to have to prepare. You're going to have to look at your finances. You're going to have to look at your budget. You're going to have to have a little faith to be stretched. Some of us that God calls us into that. I want you to begin to prepare. And then thirdly, on Sunday, December the 8th, I want you to come ready to participate. How many people am I asking to participate? Somebody say everybody. Look at somebody say he's talking to you. Come on, both campuses, he's talking to you. I'm asking everybody to participate regardless of the amount. The goal is, the objective is 100% participation because we're giving 100% of it away. Come on, isn't that awesome? Come on, one more time. Somebody just thank Jesus. I love it. All right, so you're going to uh, be hearing a lot more about this in the next few Sundays. We'll give you some further instruction, but I thought I'd put that on your map and on your radar. So let's jump into week number one of a series that we're calling Maxed Out. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at financial stress through a practical and biblical lens. 
so that we can learn how to free ourselves from being maxed out. And I want to give you this initial thought. So if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, write this down. Uh, here's what I believe. I believe that the way you handle your money is one of the best outward measurements of your inward spiritual condition. Let me say it to you like this. How you handle your finances is directly connected to the proximity of your relationship with God is. Okay? So if you read your Bible, because again, people feel a certain way when churches start talking about money. This series is 0% manipulative. Okay? And I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. This opportunity is for you to figure out how God would ask of you to handle that finances and those resources, because respectfully, for many of us, our way's not working to begin with. So God has a very specific way of handling money. And oftentimes throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, from the first book to the last book of the Bible, we see the topic of money and possessions on repeat. If you look at all of the parables that Jesus told, so parables are just short stories that were used by Jesus to illustrate a spiritual truth or a lesson. Two-thirds of all of those parables that Jesus told deal directly with money and possessions. If you look at the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, on average, one in every 10 verses of the Gospels deals directly with money and possessions. If you were to read your Bible from cover to cover, and some of you have done that, you would have read over 2,300 verses that talks about money and possessions. Now watch this. That means that the Bible talks about money five times more than it talks about prayer, and it talks about money five times more than it talks about faith. Why? Here's why. Because the way you handle your money is one of the best outward measurements of your inward spiritual condition. It's Jesus who taught this principle, by the way. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Both campuses, let's jump in and participate. Let's read this together on count of three. One, two, three. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let me ask you some questions. Now, before I give you the list of questions, there's one thing you need to know. This is a judgment-free zone. This is a no-guilt zone. Look at somebody and say, no guilt. Look at somebody and say, no judgment. All right, here's question number one. Look at me real quick. This one's rhetorical. Where is your treasure? Where's your money? Where are you investing your money? Where are you spending your money? You may have heard me say this in the past, but if you show me your bank statement, I'll be able to tell you where God is on the list of your priorities. Where, where is your treasure? Here's another question, and you can participate in this one by a show of hands. How many would say, I could use some money? A little more money right now would be nice. Come on, hands up. If you're sitting next to somebody that doesn't have their hand up, borrow money from them. Come on now. Yeah, more hands are going up, right? I think all of us would say, yeah. I mean, come on now, I could, I could use a little bit more money. I mean, if I started passing out $100 bills, who would come grab one? Yeah. Well, it ain't gonna happen, but it's just an analogy. <laughs> I think we'd all say at some point I could use a little bit more money. Here's another one, by a show of hands, come on, no guilt, no judgment, both campuses. 
Have you ever done something dumb with money? Put your hand up. Come on, if you've done something dumb with money, if you don't have your hand up, you're lying, right? You are lying right now. We've all done something dumb with money, haven't we? We've all spent money on something that we had to have and we just needed, and then it became nothing more than just a, an antique to collect dust. I went to uh, my Instagram last night just to get a few responses, and I posed this question, all right? Tell me what's some things that you've done with money that was dumb. What did you buy that you just had to have that you never used? You know, what did you spend something on that you just, I mean, it was the latest and the greatest whatever. And then, you know, it just, you just kind of wasted it. Here were a few of the responses and I thought some of them were really funny. Uh, one person said, man, I spent like $400 on Rosetta Stone to learn Spanish. And I, and this is what they said. I speak less Spanish now than before I bought Rosetta Stone. Come on somebody. <laughs> How about this one? Extended warranties on anything. Let me tell you, the extended warranties will get you, won't they? I feel so good whenever I buy something like technology and like, would you like the extended warranty? I'm like, Dave Ramsey says no. Come on, if you know anything about Dave Ramsey, he's just a gift to the kingdom when it comes to money. So extended warranties can be a waste of cash. Here's one. Somebody said, I wasted money on the Nordic track <laughs> or a treadmill. Or as a matter of fact, any at-home workout equipment. Come on now. You, you know, you just had to have that treadmill and it ain't doing nothing but collecting your Christmas boxes. That kind of, somebody said they went to the mall one time and they were suckered into buying this uh, at-home teeth whitening kit three years ago that they never even opened. And then this is my favorite one of all of them. One person responded back to Instagram and they said, you know what? I've wasted money on anything I've ever bought for a girl that did not become my wife. Come on now, I think that's so true right there. <laughs> come on, fellas, if you could just have back all the money that you may or you uh, spent on mixtapes, come on now. <laughs> Dave Ramsey, who really is just an incredible gift uh, to, to the body when it comes to finances, he says it like this. He says, money is fun when you have some. How many of you know that's a true statement? Money can be a lot of fun when you have some, but money can become very dangerous when you don't. And I'm going to show you how in just a minute. Let me give you Proverbs chapter number 22, verse number seven. This will be uh, what I typically call like a theme verse or a foundational verse throughout this series. We'll, we'll visit this each week, but the Bible says this, that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower, so the one who is in debt, is a slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower, the one who is in debt, is a slave to the lender. On the count of three, everybody say that word slave. One, two, three, slave. Slave, this word here is the, the Greek word for that is the word ebed. And it literally means to be in bondage. So, so basically, the Bible is saying that anyone who is in debt has now found themselves in financial bondage. Anybody that is in debt and they're trying to climb their way out of debt, they're actually trapped in a financial prison. Or to tie it into the title of the series, they're maxed out. So, so call it whatever you want, but living in financial bondage, living in financial, a financial prison, being maxed out may sound something like this. We'd love to get married but we can't afford to get married. Now, what you're really saying is, I'm in bondage. I'm a slave. 
I don't have enough money. Now, here's another one that we often hear. Man, we'd love to start a family. Or we'd, we'd love to have more children. I'm not saying that for us. We done. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but somebody's like, man, we'd love to have more kids, but we can't afford it. Why? Because I'm a slave to who I'm in debt to. I, I'm in bondage. Some people would say this. I hate my job. I'd love to, I'd love to do anything else, but I can't afford a career change because so many people live paycheck to paycheck. And so there's no way that I could ever do what I actually feel like I'm supposed to do because I have to keep doing what I hate to do in order to pay for all the stuff that I bought. Are you with me? Uh, it might sound like this. We'd love to help somebody in need. Now, I'd, I'd love to go on a missions trip. I'd love to be a part of that legacy offering where we're going to give. Come on, did you hear me? We're going to give it all away. I'd love, to, I'd love to be a part of that. I'd love to be able to feed hungry children and not just my own. Hello? But I can't afford to do it because I'm in bondage. I live in this financial prison. I feel the weight of financial stress and I'm overwhelmed. If you've ever said any of those things, you're maxed out. As a matter of fact, if you've ever experienced this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How you feel when you get paid versus how you feel at the end of the month. Come on, somebody. <laughs> wave, at, wave at me if you know what I'm talking about right here. This is how we feel when we get to say, hey, make it rain. We just got paid. And then at the end of the month, we're just begging somebody for a slice of bread. Come on now. Now, this isn't just a problem in our generation. It is a generational problem. This, this, some, of, some of this poor mismanagement of finances have been passed down from generation to generation to generation. I'm going to show you the consumer debt of three specific generations, but let me show you what category of generation you fall into. If you were born between 1981 and 1999, you are a millennial. At either campus, if you're a millennial, come on, make some noise. Be proud. Own it. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. What? What? Okay, they dabbing in the back, millennials. Generation X, where are you at, Generation X? Come on, this is my generation. Born 1965 to 1980. If you're a ba baby boomer, if you'll turn my mic up so they can hear me, that's a joke. <laughs> totally a joke. I tried to make it funny, it's just a joke. Come on, it's a joke. <laughs> 1946 to 1964, baby boomers make some noise. I'm talking about. Well, why are you so happy? <laughs> Let me show you the average consumer debt across those three generations. Now, I want you to know that consumer, consumer debt is about consumption, not investment. Because there are some things that you might go into debt for that could provide equity on the back end, like, like a mortgage for a home. Now, I'd, I'd, and, and I wish you'd agree with me here, I'd love to see all of us get out of all of our debt, including that mortgage, but, but that could potentially be an investment that you've made for the equity. I'm just talking about consumer debt because there is no, there is no equity in those shoes you keep buying, ladies. It's a safe place back here. And all the guys are like, yeah, tell them. Well, what'd you go buy that new boat for? There ain't no equity in that boat, in that Harley Davidson. All right, I'm okay. Anyway, I'm gonna keep moving. Baby boomers, the consumer debt average across these generations, 16,234. 
Generation X, you carry an average consumer debt of $29,095. Millennials, you carry an average consumer debt of $26,409. Now let me show you the percentage of this. So the percentage uh, across these three generations and each generation when it comes to consumer debt is baby, 62% of baby boomers are suffocated by consumer debt. 71% of Generation X feel the weight of consumer debt. And what, and this is important, 70% of millennials are experiencing consumer debt. Now watch this, millennials have had the least amount of time to collect debt, yet they're moving at a historic rate. So it looks like, well, hey, they're way down, but really they're way up. Because again, they've had the least amount of time to accumulate their debt. Watch this, let me show you this one. The average debts across generations. So for baby boomers, you average $48,619 in education, $14,280 in cars, you got $7,648 in credit cards. Generation X, $48,639 in education, $17,000 in cars, almost $10,000 in credit card debt. And then again, millennials, their numbers are a little lower, but they've had the least amount of time to accumulate their debt, and they're moving at a scary, dangerous rate 33,000, almost 34,000 in educational debt, 13,000 in vehicle debt, and right at $6,500 in credit card debt. This is alarming, church. This is, this is financial prison. This is being maxed out. I don't want to get ahead of myself, so you may hear this in a moment, but when you live in this kind of financial bondage, you will never be able to do what God is calling you to do because the excuse will always be, I can't afford it. Come on. Now watch this one. So this is, the, this is the percentage of people who worry about their debt on a daily basis. So for people that have less than $10,000 in debt, they worry about that. 18% of them worry about that every single day. All the way up to people who have over $50,000 of consumer debt, almost 40% of them worry about the prison they're in every day. Let me tell you why this is alarming. Church, this is, this is why it's no wonder that so many marriages don't work. It's no wonder that so many people struggle with anxiety and depression. Because listen, when, I know this is an obvious statement, but somebody needs to hear it today. I want you to get freedom, okay? Whenever you are maxed out, you are going to be stressed out. And the hard truth, but somebody's got to tell you, in America, in America, we live in one of the, the richest nations in the world, yet the average American is weighed down by debt. And in America, we do not have an income problem. We have a spending problem. I know I'm not going to get a lot of amens right there, but it's the truth. In America, it's not about the problem of income. It's the problem of outcome. We've got a spending problem. We have a lifestyle problem, which ultimately is a spiritual problem. And I hear this all the time. People say, well, if I, if I just had a little bit more money, then I would have a lot less problems. But you know the old saying, more money, more problems. Come on. What you need is not more money. What you need is more Jesus. Come on and help me preach. Come on, if we're going to clap, let's do it well. Come on. We need more Jesus. We need God in our lives. 
He's the only one that can help us turn this thing around so that you can step into the financial freedom that God wants you to live because when you live in financial freedom, he can tell you to do what he's calling you to do and there will not be the excuse of, well, I can't afford it. Listen to me. I don't want to be a slave to money. Am I the only one? I don't want to be in bondage. I want to live my life in freedom so that at any time, at any point when God says go or God says do, I position myself to say, here I am, Lord, send me. And now let me tell you why this is important. And today I'm just laying the foundation. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to give you some practical things to do with handling your money to help you get out of debt and to create a budget to take control back of your spending and your finances. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require some self-discipline. But at the end of the day, the world calls all of this normal. And normal is not working. Nor- normal is now, normal is living in a house that you can't afford. Normal is buying a car that is actually worth less or you, you know, than what it really needs to be worth. You overpay and you drive off the lot and you're already behind. You're already upside down. Wor- worry is being suffocated by student loans and trying to pay Sally Mae and all her little friends a minimum payment hoping that one day you'll get out of student loan debt. Come on. Normal, normal is being drowned in credit card debt. Normal is... I know we don't have the money for it, but we'll buy it anyway and we'll figure out a plan. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Come on. Normal is being strangled by medical debt and normal is is not ever really being able to fully retire or to dream about retirement. And I want want you to listen to me, especially those that are in that millennial generational bracket because you have so so many years in front of you. You need to start thinking about retirement like today. Come on, somebody older in the faith agree with that. Like today, you got to figure it out. Normal is sleepless nights. Normal is tension-filled relationships. Normal is continuous worrying about the money you don't have. Normal is working nonstop to try to keep up with the Joneses. Well, guess what? The Joneses just filed bankruptcy. We're trying to keep, keep up. And here's the problem with all of it. Here's the problem. Money promises what only God can provide. Watch this. I want you to see this. Money will promise you security and significance. Money money will lure you into this falsity that if you accumulate more money, then you'll have security and you'll have significance. But at the end of the day, money makes that promise, but it's actually God who provides security and significance. My, my security is found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. My significance, my identity is not what my 401k looks like. It's what my relationship with God looks like. Are you with me? That's where my real identity and my security comes in. Watch this. So money, and this is big, write it down. Money just makes you more of what you already are. Let me say it this way. So if you are a jerk, And you, and you luck out and win the lottery. You heard me, luck. You luck out and win the lottery. Now, because money is a magnifier, now you are just a rich jerk. 
Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? But watch this. If money makes you more of what you are, God makes you better than who you are. Listen to me. No amount of money can make you a better version of you. But when you get in right standing with God, and you gotta hear, you gotta hear me lay the foundation in this series, because the only way this is gonna work is if God becomes the center of everything. The center of your life, the center of relationships, the center of your parenting, the center of your business, the center of how you handle money. When you invite God into you, he makes you better than who you are. Come on, give me a good amen right there. Money, money lies to you. Money does. Money is this lure that's thrown into a pond and we're just a bunch of fish. And we try to find that lure because we think that it's going to make, make us something that we're really not. No, money is just a magnifier. And here's the challenge with money. There's a couple temptations here. The first one is this, is that we are tempted to serve money. On the count of three, both campuses say this word, serve, one, two, three, serve. We are tempted to serve money. Now, Jesus jumped into the conversation about this temptation to serve money. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said this. He said, no one can what? There it is. No one can serve two masters. Jesus said, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then watch this line. Are you ready? You cannot serve both God and money. Both campuses on the count of three. Let's read this last line highlighted in yellow together. One, two, three. You cannot serve both God and money. Do it again. One, two, three. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I want to make sure you understood what Jesus just said. Jesus didn't say you should not serve both God and money. He said you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is actually saying that it is impossible for you to serve two masters. You can't do it. He says, he says it, it can't be done. He says either you're going to hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And I find this really interesting that at the last part of this statement, this fill in the blank was filled with the idea of money. Because Jesus could have put anything there. He could have said this, you cannot serve both God and power. Uh, you, you cannot serve both God and popularity. He could have said, you cannot serve both God and yourself. He could have said, you cannot serve both God and your sexual desires. You cannot serve both God and your, your idols. You cannot serve both God and your career. You cannot serve both God and your favorite college football team. Come on now. You cannot serve both God and fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill in. But why did Jesus say you can't serve both God and money? I don't think this is some, you know, divine revelation from heaven, but I believe this in my heart that I think Jesus knew that money would be one of the number one competitors of your heart. And he knew that in the society in which we live, that money would be there to tempt you to serve it. And Jesus said, let's set the record straight. 
You cannot love both God and money. You've got to choose. It's either, it's either the green or it's God. You've got to make the choice. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I, here's, here's what I hear. Well, I've, I've never been tempted to serve money. I'll, I'll never be tempted to serve money. Well, I would argue that if you've ever bought something you didn't need to impress somebody you didn't like, you were serving money. Come on now. I would argue that if you've ever hoarded your money, so you, you made some money, stacks on stacks, come on, and you decided in your heart, this is all mine, it makes me feel secure, it makes me feel happy, I'm holding on to it. Listen to me, you have served money. How many of you parents with children, you've seen the movie Nemo? Come on, let me see your hand. Both camps have seen Nemo. How many of you don't have kids, but you too have seen the movie Nemo? I love it. All right, you got to go with me here. Remember the part in the movie where the, uh, the, the seagulls are on the pier and the fish are out of water and the seagulls are walking around and they're saying this, mine, 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 mine. How many of you remember that clip? Come on, don't make me look silly. Mine, mine, mine. Why did you act that way about the money? Let me let you in on a little secret here. Every good and perfect gift comes from God above. Pardon the grammar, but it ain't your money to begin with. And if we hold on to money, all of a sudden we realize, wait a minute, we are serving money. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to throw it out there. You take it for what it's worth because, again, this series is not a manipulative series. I don't want anything from you. I just believe that God has something for you. But people act a certain way when the church starts talking about money. But in the Bible, it's called the tithe. It is. It's called the tithe. And God says, hey, all I'm asking is for the first 10%. Watch. It's all his. He's just asking for 10%. And I love when people say, well, that's Old Testament. That, that's the Old Testament. Well, you're right. Because in the New Testament, Jesus said, sell everything and give the leftover to the poor. I think all of a sudden we've fallen in love with the Old Testament, haven't we? <laughs> you can't serve both God and money. Jesus says this. He says, I'm just asking for the first 10. For the first 10. Because how you handle your money is the best outward measurement of your inward spiritual condition. And if whenever the church starts talking about tithing and giving, you're like, well, I'm not giving to the church. Or if you ever came across somebody that was in need and you refused to give to them, ladies and gentlemen, you might be serving money. This isn't the only temptation of money, though, the temptation to serve money. The second temptation is the temptation to love it, to love money. Listen to me. This is really dangerous right here. I think so many people have fallen into the temptation to love money that you don't even realize that you're caught up in this trap. Again, laying a foundation. I'll give you practical stuff in the next couple of weeks. But 1 Timothy 6.10 says this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. What a powerful statement. And I don't know why this thought comes into my heart, but I'm going to share it. If you consider some of the poorest countries around the world, some that we would call third world countries. And what I love about Go Church is the diversity of people. So at both campuses, people come from all over the globe. And some of you, you grew up in some of these countries that were poorer than poor. A few of them come to my mind, but I won't name them. But think about this. 
The United States of America has invested billions and billions of dollars into the enhancement and investment of these poor third world countries, but the leadership of those countries fell in love with money, and from the love of money, all kinds of evil were birthed. Do you see that? So the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we see that happen around the globe. And watch this. Some people who were eager for money, they've wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You need to know something. And I'll close here in just, just a few minutes. Money itself is not good or bad. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is neutral. You can use money for good or you can use money for bad. You can use money and be wise or you can waste money and be dumb. Come on. The problem, though, is this. It's the love of money that's wrong. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10 says it like this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Uh-oh. That just generated some conviction. Whoever loves money never has enough, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. Now, I want to give you a godly perspective. I want you to see this, okay? This is really important. I, I want you to hear what I'm trying to say to you. Watch. If you serve money, you cannot serve God. Why? Because you can't serve two masters, right? But if you serve God, if you put God as the priority, then money will serve you. What we've been doing, we've been doing it backwards. We put money before God. But if you put God before money, then money will work in your favor. Do you see that? So say this with me. Say, say we don't serve money. We serve God. Say this a little louder. We don't love money. We love God. Try it again. We don't serve money. We serve God. We don't love money. We love God. And if you serve God, if you love God, then money will serve you. Don't fall into the temptation to serve money. Don't fall into the trap to love money. You serve God. You love God. And watch what God does. Listen to me. There's something, and if I could get a few people to testify to this statement, there's something supernatural about God's economy that when you put God first in everything, especially in the areas of finances, God says this, it's one of the few places in his Bible, he says, try me, test me. I almost like to think of it as this way, God saying, I double dog dare you to try, to try, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but listen to me, what do you have to lose? Because you've been doing it your way for so long and you found yourself maxed out in a financial prison. Let's just try God. And let's not see if God won't open up the windows of heaven. Come on, am I talking to anybody? And pour out so much blessing, the Bible says, that you won't even be able to contain it all. Yeah, let me walk in that type of blessing. Not so that I can hoard that money, but let me say it like this. Let me be blessed so that I can be a blessing to somebody else. That's the way that it works. So this is what I've been praying for you. That for those of you that feel maxed out, for those of you that feel that financial bondage, it starts with calling it what it is. 
You got, you got to stop passing the blame. You have to stop pointing the finger. You have to stop blaming your parents and your grandparents for their poor mismanagement of money. Now you are responsible to be good stewards of what God has given you. So instead of complaining about what you don't have, just manage well what you do. Come on, give me a better amen right there. You got to call it what it is. You have, you have to admit, God, I'm in bondage to money. God, I'm in debt. I'm in over my head. I'm suffocating here. I'm a slave to money. I'm a servant to money. I've been tempted to love money. I now love money, but I don't want to keep living my life that way. I don't want to live my life in financial bondage anymore. I'm sick of it. This is my prayer. I want somebody to get sick of fighting about money all the time. I want somebody to get sick of worrying about money all the time. I want somebody to get sick of not being able to do what God is calling you to do because you don't feel like you got enough cash. Come on. I want you to get sick of not being able to help people who are in need. I want you to get sick of not being able to be a part of what God's doing in your church by way of giving. Not because we want something from you, but because God has something for you. That's my prayer. Just get sick of being maxed out. Get sick of being in that financial prison. And if you put God first, God will do something supernatural in your life. Now's the time for like 200 people who knows what I'm talking about to testify that when you put God first, come on, are you with me? That when you put God first, listen, God will help you get out of debt. He will. I'm a walking, talking, living example of that reality. When Kimberly and I started dating and we got married, I carried into that relationship a suffocating amount of student loans. Immediately, I bought us two brand new vehicles. Immediately. And then I got really sick, really sick. I had to go through a process of hospital visitations, ERs, and major surgery, and it put us in tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And then a few years later, our first son came, our son came, and then later on we had London. But when Lakeland came, there was complications in that delivery and our coverage with insurance that was for, uh, you know, child delivery and birth and all of that, it went to major medical. So now I'm out of pocket tens of thousands of more dollars. And then we just got sick of it all. Got sick of it. Because every time I closed my eyes, I felt the pressure of, man, I can't breathe. So we made a decision. We're getting out of debt. Whatever we have to do, we're getting out of debt. So we jumped into Financial Peace University, FPU. It's one of the small groups that's often uh, presented to you all during our semester of groups here. It's a nine-week course that's video-driven by Dave Ramsey. I've been through FPU five times. Five times. Now, I'm not telling you this to brag, but I'm telling you this because thanks be to God that in recent years, Kimberly and I have experienced what tasting debt-free really tastes like. We put ourselves in a position now that when God says, JC, I need you to move to Maryland to start a church. Okay, God, we can do that. Now, JC, I need you to move back home so that you can take over a church. Okay, we can do that. Now, we are done moving, Lord. Come on, somebody. But it feels good to be able to say, yes, yes. 
And I tell you all of that to say this, if we can do it, you can do it. You can live debt free. And we have learned, ah, it's taken me almost a lifetime to learn it, but we have learned that it's so much more better to give than it is to receive. Come on, one of the greatest blessings in my life is whenever we can give, whenever we can give. And we started putting God first in every area of our life, especially with money. And now before we ever pay one bill, before one dollar goes towards one bill, I text God with the amount of money I want to give him. Come on, somebody. Thank Jesus for technology. He gets the first fruit. And then we manage well the remaining 90% in God's hand and his blessing and the way that he works is on that. Try it. Let me give you one more verse. I got to be done. Watch this. Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding. You got to get out of debt. You got to get out of debt. You got to get out of this financial prison. You got to get out of being a slave. You got to get out of bondage. You got to get out of feeling maxed out. Let no debt remain outstanding. Whatever you got to do, whatever you got to say no to. Some of you today, you need to cut up some credit cards. You think that's funny, but I'm telling you the truth. Cut them up because those cards are tempting you to serve it and to love it. Stop buying stuff that you can't afford. Are you with me? You got to figure out a way and I'm going to help you with some practical stuff in the next few weeks. But let no debt remain outstanding but one. One debt, the Bible says. The debt of loving one another. Because God loved us and he gave his son Jesus. Now, the debt that we owe is to love people to life. That's the only debt that we need to continuously be indebted to. So every week I close with a question. Here it is. I, I hope that this just uh, creates some homework and brings some of us to a place of conviction. Can you imagine a life that isn't maxed out? Can you imagine a debt-free life? Can you imagine being able to give when God says give? Can you imagine being able to go when God says go? Can you imagine being able to one day retire and enjoy the fruit of your labor? Can you imagine a life that's not suffocated with stress and anxiety and depression? Can you imagine having a budget conversation with your spouse and it not turning into some argument where doors are being slammed and you end up on the couch? Can you imagine a life that isn't maxed out? It's the best life. Let me say it this way. It's the blessed life. Let me transition to our campus pastor at Germantown. You've got it from here. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a second. They're going to sing this chorus, 45 seconds. And then Pastor Trey, our associate pastor here, will come and transition us. Before you leave, though, I want you to consider this question. Can you imagine a life that isn't maxed out?